I mean, listen, it's a it's a human mistake. It's honest. We're we're basically going through it live. This is the Drop Podcast, where we talk golfing in the Garden State. I'm Mike Poro, and this is Ryan Kula. And this episode is presented by Mountain Tranger Law Firm. How's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for uh, another great week. We had a, a, an awesome episode last week with our interview with Troy and Roundup at Little Mill. We certainly appreciate all the love on, on all of our socials. You can still find us on Spotify at The Drop Podcast. You can check us out on YouTube. We got a whole bunch of content there. The Drop Golf Podcast is where it is on YouTube. Hit that like button, follow, hit that bell for uh, notifications. Uh, and lastly, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Both of those are at the drop underscore pod. Like, follow, subscribe, listen along. Yeah, I want to throw a quick shout out to uh, Swing Juice. If anybody does not know who they are or what they do, they were kind enough to send Ryan and I some, some gear and some merch. And, you know, a little box came and it wasn't just one thing. It was probably five or six different things, a sticker, a hat, some T-shirts, a polo, a hoodie, you know, so shout out to those guys. You know, I rocked it yesterday playing some golf, comfortable, it's nice. So if you don't know them, go check them out. Swing Juice, they're on Instagram, at the Swing Juice. Also swingjuice.com, go take a look. Uh, yeah, for sure. I was rocking the trucker hat too, love it, good stuff. All right, Mike, um, here's how I thought we could jump into this episode. We've talked quite a bit about the uh, golf course rating system. You and I have gone back and forth about this. I like the extensiveness of having an all-inclusive um, kind of rating system for the whole experience. Uh, Mike just wants to rate the course, which is a big part of it. But I think I've <clears throat> finished it and come up with something that is pretty all-inclusive for us. Um, it, it's going to have. It's going to be made up of. The following, out of 100 total points, uh, almost all of these are out of 10, uh, a couple of them are out of 15, uh, but again, it makes us up to, brings us up to 100. So we got course conditions, pace of play, course maintenance, course aesthetics, difficulty, the practice facilities, the Pro Shop, 19th hole, accessibility and how it's organized. The I kind of have like, I, I call it the vibe on the course. And then personal opinion and then whether you love it, hate it, or other. And all of those, again, uh, most of them are 10. Um, I think there's only two that are out of 15. And that's, that's what I came up with. Um, I created a Google Doc <clears throat> for you and I to... Uh, type in the course and then it, it uh, links it up into a Google sheet and kind of has it all rated there. And I know that you didn't want, when Mike and I were talking this week about, he didn't want to see anything until now. So did you look at it or do you want me to share? Yeah, why don't you, I, I, I pulled up the one that I think it is, but I may have the wrong one on the computer here because I think the one I'm looking at has over 100 points. So I might not have the most up-to-date one. Okay. Because this one said the last edit was six days ago, so maybe that is it. But I think if my calculation's correct, it's over 100 points. Do you have a Google Doc? 
or Google Form, I mean. I. Oh, now I see where. Oh, now I see. It's a Google Sheet. Yeah, there's a Google Sheet. Okay. Yeah. Now I see it. I got it. Okay. I was looking under the a different one. Okay. So I see exactly okay. what you're talking about. Yeah, I got it now. We're good. So, um, I thought. Let me. Uh, you know, Mike and I do this on Zoom, so why don't I, I thought we could do this. Let me see what you think of this idea. I thought we could rate Little Mill. Okay. It's the last course that both of us played, um, you know, to, together, and I think, that, uh, I think that would be a good one to kind of be our test run. You know, I know we both liked it. We both had good opinions of it, but let's see what the number comes out. And let's see if, this, if the number equates to the course. Okay. So. Yep. All right, so yeah. let me share my screen with you. Have you done it yet? I haven't. No, this is going to be a first time for everybody. Okay, I like this. So I know this is an audio podcast, but a visual vehicle right now. Basically, what I got up in front of me is a Google form. It's got all the categories and just pretty simple drop-down menus. Uh, I have the on our website, I have the golf course uh, ratings, like how, how each one will come out. Um, I suppose I could put the form, but it's going to be locked so that just you and I could do it for right now. Um, I don't necessarily need the public's opinion on courses we haven't played yet, you know. I so agree. maybe there's something that we can throw out there at some point. But but right now, uh, you know, I, I can I can put like a locked thing on this up. Anyway, uh, golf course. Can you see what I'm doing, Mike? Yep, hundred percent. Little Mill Country Club. All right. So the first question is course conditions. That's out of 10. Again, I, I think even within a lot of these, you get kind of like, I thought it was good conditions, but it was fall, so there were leaves all over. I, I still thought it was in really good shape, though. I'd give like it an taking 8. Taking away the fallness. I'd give it an I 8. I liked 8, too. That's what I was I thinking. I'd give it an 8 because, again, I, I think we have to grade these based upon when we play these. And mm -hmm. I know at times, in, and Troy even brought this up multiple times, the leaves were obviously an issue because of the time of the year. And he even referenced that the greens were not as hard and as fast as he would have liked. And probably because of the, you know, the, the year, the time of the year. But for me, I'm going eight on the course conditions. Okay. I, I like, I liked eight as well. I thought eight was good. Um, may, should we ask, let me ask you this. Do you think you have a grade for little mill in your mind? So you don't need to say a number, but if you were to think back about, about Little Mill and you were to give it like a test grade. Yep, I could right now without even going through all this sheet right now. And I, okay. think, I, could and, just, and I, and I think I could justify it. I, I, I have a number as well, and I'm gonna, let's see if this comes out close. I think that's a good, I think that'll be okay. a good exercise for this. Okay. Um, pace of play? No issues. It was 10. It moved. We never it, waited. 100%. We didn't wait. And again, could be because it's fall and not a lot of people out there, but also we can only grade it on what we saw, right? Mm -hmm. Co course maintenance is out of 10. Again, I'm giving it a, a seven or an eight. Again, the time of the year kind of, I, I would say it probably kills that place a little bit in terms of why it's not a nine or 10 in my book. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think for me, I, I was, let's see again, like you, now you can start arguing half points, but I think eight. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. On, Seven or eight. On what we saw, yeah. Uh, course aesthetics, out of 10. Now, when we say aesthetics, we're just talking about what I thought of 
the golf course itself on all 27 holes, correct? For sure. Um, well, like what? Yeah, what did it look like? Did you like how the like how it looked? How it? Um, I'll give it another eight. All right, eight as well. See, you and I might differ on this next one because you're a better golfer than I am. So my difficulty was, like, like he said, Little Mill Chimes is hitting through the woods, and and I I was conducting an orchestra out there, <laughs> whereas you weren't necessarily doing that. So it might be. Our difficulty levels might be different, but difficulty out of 10, what do you got? I'm rolling eight again. Okay. I was a nine, but we'll go with eight because we went with me last time. Uh, I think I know the answer for this one. Practice facilities out of 10. 10. It was good. Very good. Grass. It really was. Yeah, it really was. I mean, the grass driving range was a huge draw. They had um a, a be- actually two sides of the range. If you wanted to hit off mats, you could actually go to the other side of the range um, the chipping area, the putting green, you know, very nice. There was actually multiple putting greens. One obviously was a little bigger than the other. Um, so to me, I, I, there's definitely a reason why you can see very good players like Troy and even a kid like Jack Irons. Like it's clearly evident as to why they play out of there. Uh, did you go inside the pro shop? I walked around, but like, I mean, there, it wasn't anything. I mean, that would be the one area I would think that to me it just kind of was, I don't want to be disrespectful, but just maybe blah. So totally agree. I I totally agree that it was like, it was blah. But there's part of me that's like, blah is is still pretty good. Like, um, it was full. You know, they didn't have a ton of... uh, I I didn't see like a ton of selection and it was rather on the smaller side. But again, like... It's a pretty cool logo that they had on some stuff that I saw. It wasn't like I'd I'd probably go seven, okay. just because it yeah. was. I was gonna say six or seven. That would be the one area okay. in terms of looking at the sheet that it was kind of like, you know. But again, yeah. Like again, this just goes back to last episode when we talked to Troy. Like you can clearly see the point of emphasis at Little Mill is the is the twenty seven holes. The extracurricular right. stuff is not what they you know, hold their hat on, and it just kind of is what it is. For sure, yeah. Um, and again, that doesn't mean it was, it was like, bad stuff. It was just, like, not, like, it was a check-in, and if you needed something, we got something kind of, kind of pro shop. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we didn't use a 19th hole, but what are your thoughts on, like, 19th hole slash that halfway house? We yeah, saw thought, the car grow yeah, a few times. I, I, thought the, I thought the halfway house was really neat at where it was located, quite frankly. Um, a perfectly located, yeah, right? I, I, mean, I really thought like that spot specifically was really cool because it was right in an area where you clearly went back and forth from multiple times. The putting green and chipping green area is right there. So that was like a huge draw that you could get something before you went out or at the turn. And then you'd you come off the driving out, range too. Hit the, yeah, you're hitting the. You're going to hit the driving range, and let's go. Like, let's grab a drink and go to the driving range. I, I, I tell you, I thought it was a ten all around. Like, I thought it was a great location because you're at the first and ninth, and then the first and ninth again. Um, on yeah, it was right there by the white. Yeah, I white thought, and blue is right there. Yeah, so I I thought that was great, 
And then even if you take, like, I don't know if you poked your head into the bar on the inside, uh, like, beautiful-looking bar, looked like, you know, a bunch of taps. That room we recorded in was awesome. So if you take, like, that kind of stuff in as well, I, I thought it was a 10. Mm-hmm. And even I if have... you didn't, I thought it'd be 10 just based on that little, um, that little outdoor part. So new problem. It's not out of 10, it's out of 15. <laughs> I'd still go as high as I could go because I, I thought that, again. Yeah, I, I would I say, I mean, I, I know it doesn't have the optics if you're looking at it. Like, the aesthetics don't look like, oh, wow, look at this place. But I think in terms of what you're looking for, I thought it checked all the boxes. Uh, for sure. Uh, accessibility and organization is out of 15 as well. So yeah, it's, I mean, a, it's I, I, not yeah, really t- accessible, but yeah. I, I would go more with like, how is it organized with like the, with like the, the outdoor operations? Uh, they don't have caddies there. So like, I, I thought they were pretty organized on, on that front. I didn't have any problems with any of this. Yeah, stuff. no, I think when you're talking about like this category specifically, it's, it's going to have to be a 15 really, because mm-hmm. it's a private golf course it has what you're looking for. So in terms of like the general public and getting access to this place is not going to happen. So for us to get invited there, it's a private golf course. They're buttoned up. They got their shit together. It's hard yeah. to, unless we, we walked in and it was an absolute dumpster fire, then it'd be a different story. For, for sure. And I, and I think that that's kind of like some of these courses are going to be exactly that. Like it was, they seemed organized. They had their shit together. They, they, yeah, it seemed like it was, like it was great. I mean, I had no, I saw no issues with like disorganization. And again, this will kind of have to be a little bit flexible as a category because, like you said, public can't get on it, so it's not really accessible. Mm-hmm. But, but I would also say that I don't know what the what like the invitation, like the guest rate is. But again, Troy was Troy was pretty open about inviting us and having us out there again. Like it it from a member standpoint, maybe it is easy to bring guests, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the last one is on course vibes. And I think uh, I'll speak for both of us that it was an unbelievable on course vibe. I loved every bit of it. Uh, This is out of 15. So I would say a 15. Yeah. I mean, I thought the the golf course was great. Troy was great. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, that was maybe just the time of the year might've been the only true negative that, really stuck out in terms of like what it was looking for right and then personal opinion out of 10 see that's a, that's gonna be like a tough one because i i to some extent like i i have a hard time saying that it's gonna be a a, a perfect score because if i set the bar so high what am i gonna do give every other one a hundred right so to me like i i guess when it comes to personal opinion after thinking about it a little bit, I think I'm going to stick with the eight. I'm going to stick with the eight there because to me it's like it's well above average. It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but I liked it. So to me, like I'm going, I'm going in the at an eight. It gives uh, room. It gives what. room for other courses to be better while also being worse. For sure, uh, I I would go eight point five if I'm looking at like like a test grade. It's not, um, and again, not 8.5, so I, I like 8 better than 9. But, like, did they get high honor roll, or is it just an honor roll? And, and I would say that 
that this course made honor roll. So I like eight on that, on that kind of like two teachers talking about grading scales. I like that. And then maybe we do need to make a little bit of a change to this. This next one is hate, love, other. Um, this is out of 15. So are we saying it's a 13, 12? Yeah, I'd say 12. Okay. We don't need to put any additional notes in there if we don't want to, but there is a spot for additional notes. So, uh... I would just say time of the year influenced some categories from being a perfect 10 or a perfect score. Okay. All right, course response. Why didn't it add up? Because I think it should say C2 through N2, not... It does. Yeah. Oh, there's a number. Oh, do, so do we have too many... I, I thought that the number was too much. Okay. Because when I was looking at the sheet, it, it, I'm looking at all these numbers, I'm like, man, maybe I'm on the wrong sheet. Um, because on, on the course ranking sheet on mine, under, in the drive, it said... Um, it was out of a hundred. It was like I'm looking at all the numbers. And I'm like, there's no way. This one. Mm-hmm. So when you pull that up, and I just quickly glance, in case, go in down. In case anyone's wondering, I quickly just look at all these numbers. I'm like, dude, these numbers equal more than a hundred. And then I was like, all right, maybe the form has less of them on there. Oh my god, yeah. Okay. I don't know what I was doing or thinking, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Pretty severe overlook. Uh, Do we need to start over? Uh, no, let's, let's leave it in. People can know I'm a dumbass. And 10, 20, 30, <laughs> 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, uh, 110. That's out of 140. So, yeah, it's a wacky number. That is. So we're definitely going to change that for next time. But 124 out of 140, any guess? 92. 124 divided by 140? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're just guessing it's a 92. Yeah. It's an 80, 88.6. Uh, 88. Okay. 0.8857. So, I uh, had, I'll tell see, you. See, my, num my number was 92. I would have given a 92. If you're asking me just to grade it without going through the report card, I would say it's a 92. And the reason why it's not mid-90s or a perfect score was to me, the time of the year definitely had a major influence on that. And, and, and I thought when it comes to the golf course itself was a very, very nice golf course. It was challenging, it was long. Aesthetically, there was a lot of great-looking holes. But I like, in terms of getting a perfect score for me, it definitely didn't have the pro shop. You walked in, to me, that was that kind of lacked. Again, the firm and fast greens that Troy was mentioning just weren't there. So to me, that kind of brought it back a little bit. Um, and the overall course conditions of the places, kind of to me, I'm like, all right, I, I'd give it an A, which is, to me, a 92 is an A. I, I just can't get to 95, which is to me like super solid. And then 100 is right. obviously perfect. And that's to me where yeah. I felt like 92 was going to be my number ahead of it. Okay. 
so the number I had in mind was a 90. Okay. So again, same reasons. Love the course. Like it's just a, it's just the smallest notch below high honor roll. Again, quote unquote, and uh, and and that would be the only reason. So I, I think that that's I think that that's pretty close. Obviously, we got some more work to do. Yeah. So uh, I think next time we just you have to get a calculator out and you got to start doing yep. ten plus ten plus ten plus fifteen. Um, because even when I looked you know at that was, when I looked I at that so... sheet, I'm like, man, that does not equal hundred. And he's saying a hundred, but listen, I had this so is his baby. Going, yeah, I had so many of these going that I was like, okay, this is the one I like. Like the three, the way that I broke this down is the three categories, right? The golf course, and then and then the bunch of things under it. The off course amenities, and then three things under it, and then my personal experience, uh, and then the three things under that. So that was that was how I broke it down, and I had a bunch of different things going on, and I I thought I put it together, but but this is. This is not, not, my math is not good. Okay, so let me just, let's go down this math path with you right now. Don't get off this screen that you're sharing right now. Let's let's go down this math path real quick. No, no, no. I, no, no, no. no. Need oh, to, that's we that's don't not, need to embarrass me anymore. I know, oh. I see it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll go back to the drawing board, but I think we're, I think we made huge strides from last time. I got to change the, the system to get better, but, but we can definitely fool around with that. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I think, again, where we're going with this is, is an improvement because I, I can't lie. Like, when you look at all the, the past comments about the first seven episodes of where, you know, what we have talked about, this course rating system was one of the biggest talked about, commented on, viewed, played episode that we have. So clearly, mm-hmm. this is a topic of conversation that people truly care about. And not only that, the amount of text messages that you and I were receiving about ways to improve, to finalize, this was a huge topic. So even though that, even though, you know, we fumbled again, we've made bigger strides in terms of having a final product ready to present with mathematically everything making sense. Right. That's, that's just coming down to, yeah, for sure. And I think once once it's finalized, we pr- we put it, you know, push it out there, and we roll with it. And I think to some extent, we each should do our own. You know what I'm saying? Because we're not always going to agree on certain things, like you said specifically when it comes to um, the course difficulty. Clearly, for you and mm-hmm. I, we're two different golfers, so the difficulty on things may be drastically different. So if you and I filled out our own. And then we reconvened to talk about why I thought this or why you thought that. That would better suit the conversation than doing it jointly, because again, we're going to sure. have different difference differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when we get, I wanted to do this together so that we could hammer things out, and obviously, we hammered some ideas out during, but also now we got to fix the numbering. So yeah, I. I think that would be good for the future. Next time that we play the same place, for sure, we'll do it, do it like that. And I came up with an eighty-nine. You came up with a ninety-two. Here's let's go back and forth. Yeah, and I think and I think that's a good. What you've got here is, is again, another step in the right direction in terms of finalizing this whole thing. And quite frankly, here in the Northeast and in the Garden State, you're not going to be playing much golf unless you get a, a beautiful winter day. 
So as, as long as we're ready to rock and roll with this come, you know, February, March, when the weather starts to turn a little bit, you know, then, then we'll be in good shape. And just like anything, if people have comments, feedback, other areas that they think that we should go more heavily on, listen, I'd love to hear it. At the end of the day, you know, we're not always going to agree on everything, but the more input, the more feedback, the more responses that we get about maybe things that we're not even talking about, clearly it would go a long way. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, I totally, uh, like now's the time. If you got a comment on this, like obviously, all right, my math was bad. I got it, everybody. My, sorry, but if you got a comment on like, hey, you got to put something needs to be weighed more than this. Like, how do you have, like, let us know. Now's the time because once we do finalize this, we're going we're gonna to finalize it. That's going to kind of be our, our number. Yeah, and, um, and that same thing, if they think we could combine things or things need to be separated more, like, throw it out there. Let, let's go. All right, guys. So, again, long and short, I apologize for doing some poor math. Um, we'll get this figured out and, uh, and situated for next week, and we should be all finalized. Like I said, I got some ideas already, and, uh, and we'll be good to go. We're honing in on this, and, again, just, just my bad. What we're going to have next for you is an awesome interview with Dave Cronheim. We were fortunate and privileged to have the opportunity to have a guy like Dave Cronheim on the show. And for, for the audience who does not know Dave, he's an NJSGA executive member. He's also the chairman of Wachong Valley. And guys, this means that he is the owner. Like He's, he's the guy. Uh, this, this is a council of one that he's a part of. He is the dictator. Whatever the top guy. He's like, I'm the chairman. And there's only one board member. It's me. Wachong Valley's been in his family for a couple generations now. I think he said his, his grandfather bought it in, in the 40s during World War II. So a crazy, awesome story there. Um, his family has been New Jersey golf for now the better part of decades. And it's an awesome, awesome interview. They just did a huge restoration there. They're making a, a short course there. Uh, that they're going to call the merry-go-round. He, he's uh, he's as into New Jersey golf as any person there is in the state. So it's an absolutely awesome interview, and Dave's a, a, a really good guy. So it was really, really awesome to meet him. So we're going to throw you to that interview. But first, a word from our sponsor. Tom Mallon and Randy Tranger are board-certified trial attorneys who share more than 40 years of legal experience. They specialize in personal injury matters, workers' compensation cases, and criminal and municipal defense. As certified trial attorneys, they have recovered millions of dollars on behalf of people injured in accidents and employees injured at work. They have offices conveniently located in Freehold and Point Pleasant. For skilled and personalized legal representation, call Mallon and Tranger at 732 780-0230 or check out their website at tmallonlaw.com Not only are they good people, they're good golfers too. You know, we want to welcome onto the Drop Golf Podcast here, Dave Cronheim, Restoration Chairman at Wachong Valley, Executive Member of the NJSGA and, and and an avid skier from what I see as well. So um, you bet. Dave, Dave, we appreciate you coming on here. So, you know, a couple of things I, I want to start here and talk to you about specifically is, is Wachong Valley. 
I, I think the things that have gone on there specifically in the last few years, I, I know that you were the head of all that, you know, with being the restoration chairman. So, you know, why don't you give us a little history on Wachung Valley, you know, where it was, how it's gone through your family to kind of where it is now. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, well, first off, thanks for having me on, guys. Happy to be here and happy to talk uh, Garden State Golf with you. Yeah, so the, the club itself dates back to 1890. It was founded as a little city club in North Plainfield. No no golf, and frankly, golf in America wasn't really even a, uh, you know, even in its infancy in 1890. Um, interesting club. It had tennis. It had a, it was sort of a city club. Uh, it was actually one of the few clubs that admitted women right from the get-go. Kind of an interesting little quirk. Um, the New York Times actually wrote an article about how they, they think they called it something akin to a social experiment that they had women there. Um, then there was the counter argument. There was no alcohol served on premises. So I think there was a little that kind of cut both ways. But well, give and uh, take in the, in the 1890s. Yeah, exactly. In the Victorian era. Uh, but then, you know, as golf became more popular throughout America at the, the turn of the century, uh, a group of park golf. Or this was called Park Club in the Washington Park Club, was in the Washington Park section of North Plainfield. Uh, a group of guys got together, 50 of them in total. Um, and started looking for a site for a golf course. Um, what they stumbled on was a site on the sort of foot of the first Watchung Mountain in North Plainfield, um, uh, sort of along what's now Route 22, and in, in I guess that would be sort of around the right on the Watchung North Plainfield border there. Uh, and that's where they built nine holes. They leased the land from uh, the Hyatt Estate. Uh, there's actually, if you are on uh, kind of on 22 and you're you're driving through there, you can look down one of the little side streets and the gatehouse this awesome stone gatehouse with a clock tower uh, it's still there and that was the original gate to the Hyde estate uh they had nine holes there uh and unfortunately for them uh when the holland tunnel was built route 29 uh, which is now route 22 was uh routed right through the middle of the golf course so they were left with a bit of a dilemma about they needed to find another another site and that was the point in time that they, they looked around and found uh, the location in Wachung, uh, and this would have been sort of 1925-ish, 1924, 1925. Uh, and that's when uh, we believe they called on Seth Rayner to do the uh, the initial routing of the golf course. Uh, we've got some really cool Seth Rayner template holes, some stuff that's that's really, really neat. Um, but the course itself was actually constructed by Marty O'Laughlin, who was the head professional at Plainfield and had been uh, very instrumental at Plainfield in completing Ross's work, and then also in uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but but completing the, the sort of tunnel holes and some of the, the rework on the golf course. So uh, we're very fortunate to have that. Fast forward a few years and a couple of name changes. Uh, in 1943, uh, my family got involved uh, during the Second World War. The club went under, uh, unfortunately. Uh, my grandfather, also at, at David Kronheim, purchased the club. Um, and it's been in our family since 1943. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. Dave, we were obviously trying to do some research on you, looking, you know, different articles and whatnot. And I was not putting together that, like, you are the board there. Like, that's it's your your family's club. It wasn't. It was not clicking for me. Which was which yes, was yes. Well, you know, it's uh, founds the uh, the founder of of Oakmont used to say that uh, all committees should be in odd numbers and three is too many. <laughs> so we, we do attribute that to being some of our success to that that formula. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So I I teach history, uh, mm -hmm. high school history. So I. I kind of I, I kind of nerd out on history sides of things. So what like going back to that change in World War II, what happened to 
like why did the club shut down because of World War II? Was it just lack of members or was it some kind of like reason for the war? Well, the club had always struggled, actually, after it moved from North Plainfield. Um, so they moved to North Plainfield in 26, 27. Uh, and that was farther away from, you know, watching is obviously farther away from downtown North Plainfield from the sort of hub of the of the the membership. So they, they had struggled a little bit just in general kind of through that period. And actually, it was in the mid-30s, um, it had become, the, the course was called Hydewood when it was still in North Plainfield, that nine-hole golf course. When they moved to Watchung, they called it Watchung Valley Country Club. Um and that was only in existence for about five. That name was only used for about five or six years because they couldn't recruit enough members. Uh, and then it became Twinbrook's Country Club. And so in 1943, the, the actual sort of death knell was probably the, uh, the gas rationing that, that came into effect in, in mid-1943. That seems to be, uh, looking through the newspaper articles, that was kind of when, okay, well, they were arranging carpools and ride shares and trying to get people to the course. But you know, when you weren't on a trolley line, you weren't on a public transit line the way that Watchung Valley wasn't, uh, and they started rationing gas, it became very, very difficult to get there. Yeah, interesting. How did your, what was your grandfather's role in in that kind of like uh, purchase of the of the product? Like, what did he do before that? And how did he, how did he come to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it, revive it. How did that, how did that process happen? Yeah, so we've been in commercial real estate in New Jersey since 1897. It's actually our 125th year as a, a sort of a family office. So we at one point in time, my, my great-grandfather was a big believer that owning golf courses were good ways to own large tracts of vacant land. If you, instead of buying a big, you know, a couple, you know, 100 acres or 200 acres and, and just paying property taxes on it until you decided what you want to do with it, if you owned a golf course, well, even if you didn't break even, as long as you did better than the property taxes, you found a good way to own, own vacant land. So at one point in time, uh, and I found an article that, that referenced the fact that he actually owned four golf courses, uh, one of which was Fern, I believe it was Fern Cliff, which is next to, was next to Mountain Ridge, which is now the West Essex Industrial Park, uh, Musconetcon Country Club up in Stanhope, which is now Houses, uh, and of course in Cranford uh, that I, I'm not sure exactly what became of, but this was, the, this was the good one. This is the one that he was near and dear to his heart um, and the one that's sort of been our, uh, family legacy, for for lack of a better word, since 1943. Oh, and quite a legacy for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. So, I guess my, I guess if we really want to press the fast forward button a little here, obviously if we get to 2016, and I guess you guys decide or you decide that you want to restore the club to some extent, change things up. I guess what was the thinking behind that, and I guess what were some of the major changes that were made now compared to what it was yeah so i mean like a lot of golf clubs uh you know we planted trees in the 1950s and 60s and i remember we actually had george botto out who was a you know kind of a the rainer expert our, our consultant on on this uh the sort of historical part of it and he turned to me and says you know i love working with uh with non-equity clubs it's, it's wonderful you can you're the dictator you can take out as many trees as you want <laughs> uh and i looked at it and said yeah but in this case the dictator planted the trees <laughs> meaning my, my grandfather, sure, yeah, uh, know. you know, so that made things a little harder, but you know, too much to his credit, he came around and saw the vision for the property. Uh, and he's still alive. He's 93. Um, you know, was a, when, and really supported us in um, to start with, we had to get the holes back to their, their original corridors. They had become very narrow, like a lot of clubs when, with, when irrigation systems were put in, um, you got a single row system and the ferry was basically as far as they, the system would throw water on either side of a fairway. And that's why you end up with a lot of golf courses in this era that have 26 to 30 yard wide fairways. That's just as far as the sprinkler system would throw water. 
Um, and then, of course, if you only have narrow fairways and they're sort of ribbons through the middle of a field, then all of a sudden it makes sense to plant trees. And all of a sudden you end up with a golf course that's kind of strayed from its initial uh, design. So for us, it was you know taking a golf course that when it was built was really quite open. There were not any trees on the interior of the property to speak of. Uh, except for some sort of large islands of trees that were kind of more forest than, than trees. Uh, it, for us, it was about restoring that width. Um, you know, the golf course had just sort of shrunken and lost its sense of scale. And we, that was when we brought in uh, George Waters, thanks to some of our friends at the Outpost Club, Will Smith, who's been instrumental down at the National Links Trust and, and Colin Sheehan. Uh, George had been a shaper for Doak, uh, had worked with Will, uh, on a number of projects and will was nice enough to uh to kind of put us in touch with george and george was the uh the clear winner out of our, our sort of architect uh i don't say competition but you know we were sort of interviewing a whole bunch of people and that was one of the first things that george emphasized to us was you have this beautiful golf course and it's basically choked by trees um you couldn't see anything you couldn't see from hole to hole you have these beautiful ridges of the watchung mountains there and all of that was basically forested under the golf course was soft it was wet the greens had shrunk to you know like a lot of golf courses you know older golf courses they had shrunk the, in size the greens um and it just you know it just needed a, a kind of thorough rethinking when it came to uh to scale to start with gotcha i mean i i never got a chance to see what it was like before but you know obviously getting to play it really i i i've played it three times now um since then mainly i played once i think in 2020 and i got to play twice in 2021 um and i loved some of the views from some of those holes when you're teeing off i mean the par three the it's at the second fourth hole Mm -hmm. dip on top of the mountain yeah that's a perfect little hole I, i like that number two's green is super tough you know there's there's so much character to that place um and, and I think what you've done with it is is remarkable. Um, and I, 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 when even when I was playing in it with a buddy and and before and in a practice round and then in the in the state open qualifier, like there wasn't anybody that I heard that had one negative or bad thing to say. Um, so credit to you and your your crew over there. I thought you guys did a really really nice job. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think it's uh, you know we took the sort of longer route approach to uh, restoration. I mean, you'll see some clubs like a, for example, Baldus Roll is going to shut down the upper. They shut down the lower and did it all in, in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we did two holes in the fall, two holes in the spring. You know, I think with the first phase, we did maybe five or six holes just to get it kind of moving uh, and to show people what we were doing. Um, but we took the more gradual approach. And I think that that had the benefit of sort of letting the plan evolve a little bit. If you talk to George, I mean, one of the things that he really, uh, felt strongly about was that, you know, like anything you learn as you go a little bit and by peeling back some trees here and doing one hole, you can kind of see how the golf course was meant to fit together a little bit better. And, you know, I think that approach, it may not be the most cost effective way to do it. I think you probably could recognize some economy of scale by shutting everything down and, and, and doing it all at once. But, you know, we felt like that really was one of the big advantages we have was just sort of doing it in a way that, um, let the plan develop a little bit. And there were certainly things on the, uh, you know, on the on George's original master plan that got modified and things that, you know, we looked in the field and said, no, 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 this doesn't look quite right. Uh, or, you know, hey, this, this would be a good idea. So, you know, mainly, uh, you know, mowing lines and adjusting, you know, exactly where certain bunkers were going to go, things like that. You know, it definitely was a, an interesting and I think a good way to do a restoration. Now, now, do you have a favorite hole 
I know, you know, I, I think when I, when I think about the course, and again, this is from an outsider's perspective and I know that you play there probably often, but you know, like the, I, for me, when I think about like the, my, my favorite hole and the toughest hole, um, are there two that come to mind right away for you? Yeah. So favorite hole, I would say, you know, what's interesting about watching, I think, and the thing that I've always appreciated about it, and I think what we hear from people that, that really love it is it's got a collection of shots that people really look forward to playing. Mm-hmm. So whether it's trying to hit it into the, you know, hit a, hit a ball into the punch bowl on 13, that's, that's sort of a memorable shot or yeah, no 14 hitting up over the outs, um, yeah. you know, or hitting a, a, a you know, into the, the Redan on, on number two or par four, you know, kind of using that hillside. They're, they're sort of fun ground game shots. Um, you know, and for me, I, I think there are two holes actually, and they're back to back that kind of uh, exemplify what I think is kind of the interesting thing about watching or thing that makes it so good. And that would be 15 and 16. So, you know, to answer your, your question on favor to be 15, hard is by far the 16th hole. And, and what I think makes 15 for those who haven't played it, it's a it's a downhill drivable par four. Uh, we hole. keep the golf it's a course. Great hole. It's a great yeah. Hole. We, we keep the course really fast and firm, faster and firmer than just about anywhere in the section. And we're, we're totally okay with that. We, our members want, well, certainly we'll talk about kind of our, our membership and how that is a good fit for our club. But, you know, we keep the golf course a little brown. We want the ball to bounce. And, you know, 15 drops probably, you know, 80 feet from the tee to the green. It's three, you know, it's in the mid 300s from the back. Still very drivable just due to the, you know, the severe incline. Um, there's a bunker on the right side, kind of about 80 yards short. That's the the perfect spot to sort of drop the ball over and then let it release yeah. towards the green. Uh, and it's got this big horseshoe bunker that goes around the back of it. And that was actually one of the first things we saw in the old aerials that we wanted to restore was this big horseshoe bunker. And you watch people, you know, who hit balls at that, you know, hit a driver at that green. You're like, Oh, this is great. This is great. The balls, you know, it's running onto the green. They're like, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. And it rolls right <laughs> over into the, into the horseshoe bunker. So there's no good place to miss it there. There's no easy second shot. If you haven't left it sort of just short of the green um, greens that tilt away, I think are just a very underutilized feature from in architecture. Totally. Um, yeah. Just a really, really fun hole. And I, I sort of tell people that, you know, you stand on the tee thinking two or three, and when you walk off, you're writing two plus three on the scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and no doubt, 16, that little dog leg left par four. I mean, I, I from my recollection, it, it stretches at least to 440. Yeah, it's actually almost 490 from the back. Yeah. It's a very, yeah. very long hole. Wow. Uh, plays four, into the prevailing four, wind. Four. Par four, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. prize dog leg, which yeah. Rainer called a, you know, he called those types of holes uh, par fours and bogey sixes. Yeah. Um, which when car, you know, when scorecards had a bogey and a par rating, that was, you know, that actually meant something. It wasn't even trying to be funny. Um, <laughs> but it's a very, very hard hole. And we have, when we have state tournaments or things here, uh, we find actually it plays not just relative to par, but actually just numerically oftentimes harder than at least one or two of the par fives in the golf course. Yeah. Well, I, I would think, I would think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but knowing the golf course, I, I would say that 13. No, 14. 14 is the par five. That probably scores way better, comparatively speaking, in terms of like being a par five and getting there in two compared to 16. No question. And, and you know, from our champ uh, tees, we play that as a par four. So it's, you oh, know, it's wow. four, oh, 60 wow. uphill as a par four. Um, but even so, it plays 14 and I think doesn't play as hard as 16. I mean, 16, yeah. what I like about it. It's a bear. Yeah, it's, it, it's a monster. And, and what I like about it, though, is kind of, I, I sort of described as the final examination for the golf course. If you played there, we have a lot of side hill holes, you know, two and three in particular, very, very side hill. And you, you have to learn to kind of 
use the mountain to either help you or to you know, hold the ball into the mountain to keep the ball in a position or use the mountain and let the ball kind of release and run away. And that's what I think 16 does so well is, you know, off the tee shot, at, you know, you're trying to hit kind of a left to right ball into the mountain, hold it up on the hill because if you get too far left, your, your angle into the green starts to get worse. Um, and then there's a series of cross bunkers at, you know, maybe 50 yards short of the green. Uh, if you've never played there before, you sort of look at these and like, well, nobody must ever hit it in these bunkers. They're 50 yards short of the green. But when you realize that you're trying to land the ball 30 to 40 yards short of the green, you're really just trying to get the ball up over those bunkers and let it sort of release not only down and away, but sort of down away into the left. So it's a it's a really tricky second shot. Uh, we just in our last phase of work this summer, we re-expanded the green to capture two of the back corners, try to get a few more back pin placements because there's actually a blue dot. There's a creek back there. So um, kind of bringing that into play a little bit. Um, it's just a wonderful golf hole. Yeah, and I and I and I truly think that back nine though is is super difficult. Like I when I think about like even ten, it, you got to hit a great tee shot because that second shot with the creek there and the green, it's no joke. Eleven's no joke of a par three in terms of where, where I recall playing it. And I always thought, like I thought the hardest hole probably was twelve. Yeah, the bottle hole. Absolutely, those those oh centerline bunkers drive people crazy. Oh I think. Oh my god! The, you, know, you know, I hit a great I, ball. I, it was right down the middle of the fairway. It's like, well, you just hit in a bunker. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you can There's see no, them. No doubt that I, I, and I think when we played it, I don't know if sixteen. And well, I can, I know for a fact sixteen was not stretched out that deep, but twelve was. And, and I remember that specifically because I remember in the practice round in my notes saying like, "Wow, twelve! If you walk away with five, that's like a home run." Um, because to me, 12, like that second shot in, you know, I, we were, I, at least me, and I, I don't hit it that far. I only probably hit it 275. These other guys are bombing it past me, but I still was hitting like a good hybrid into that hole and saying, wow, you walk away with five there. That That's a win. Yeah. And a really clever, I think, a hole from an architecture standpoint, right? You, it's, if, if you can picture it, there's a, the fairway has, a, has bunkers right down the middle of it. You can play left or right. And, and right is a little bit of a shorter line. But from the right side of the fairway, you have really have no angle to the green. You, you've got to hit a shot, that, a second shot that flies over a bunker and comes to rest very quickly. If you play out left, it's a, you have to take on the, the, the center line bunkers with your tee ball. But you've got, you know, the, the green kind of, there's an opening there. The green opens up and you can bounce the ball on. Um, just a, a really, really clever green site. Yeah, I, there's no doubt. I, I think it's a great golf course. And clearly the the, the renovations that you made and, and that George has contributed to are, are unbelievable because, you know, I, there's no doubt now, you know, having some course knowledge about that place would go a long way for anybody in playing in any type of tournament. Um, you know, but why don't you touch a little bit? I, I know that the short course is another another thing that is being completed and worked on. And I think the way the game of golf is going, um, having a place like that is such a family-oriented thing. I know I have two little girls that are 10 and 7, and they, they've come along with me just to ride in a golf cart, hit some shots. And, and I think back to my trip this summer when I went down to Piners and just playing the cradle. Like Short courses like that, I think, are, are of such value to courses. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think all, we've seen in the last five to ten years just the resurgence of the short course as a thing. Um, but, you know, we, uh, or at least I, felt that a lot of par three courses you play, there's just heavy rough everywhere. You know, it's like a tee shot. Okay, you've got a 60-yard hole to an elevated green, but it's, it's all rough around it. And that's, 
you know, in many ways, I think that's the most frustrating thing for a beginner golfer. Um, and so if you've played watching Valley, you know, we have just tons and tons of short grass, the, the whole golf course is, you know, big, wide fairways. There's not a lot of heavy rough. Um, and you know, we've always felt like that was keeping the golf course fast and firm. That was something that the ground game was a big part of playing a watch and the topography plays a big role in kind of, as I've talked about on 15, 16 and elsewhere, just in making the golf course interesting. And, you know, it's a great place to learn the game because you can sort of, even if you top the ball or kind of, you know, give it a glancing blow, it's still going to go 50 yards. I mean, that, that's something that we felt would made the golf course a lot of fun. Fast forward to, to today, um, you know, we have 300 golf families roughly, and about 200 of them are for, uh, are of those members are 45 or under. So very, very young. I have no way of quantifying that, but I, we've got to be, if not the youngest club in the Mets section, certainly one of them to have two, almost two thirds of the membership in that, in that age category. And so we looked at what was coming down the pike and said, look, we're going to have a lot of kids out here. Um, we should really give a, a serious consideration to a short course. Um, I had been to Scotland uh, with my wife. My wife is, is also in golf. She's the director of the USGA Museum. So we were lucky enough before we had kids to go over and do a, you know, kind of a two week trip through Northern Ireland and Scotland um, and just had a wonderful time kind of seeing all the little towns that, that, that dot the, the countryside there. And a lot of them have little courses like this they've got a you know if you go to anything from you know north berwick has two large putting greens in the middle of the town that, that kids if you go out there they'll be playing or edinburgh has brunsfield links which is basically a you know it's it's like a giant field with you know sort of roughly mown greens in it and, and has bar next to it so that's really fun um you know or the or you know just the children's course at north berwick and then the wee course at turnberry there are lots of examples of these little these little courses. And so I came back and was determined to come up with something that I thought was unique that, you know, that was sort of a fun thing. You know, you've seen a lot of putting courses and a lot of par three courses. And I, I sort of wanted to combine them. I, I've never really been a huge fan of putting courses. I think, you know, I think like, a, you know, practicing 200 foot putts is probably the worst thing in golf. I, I, I hate I'm a bad, I'm a bad long putter and a really good chipper. So maybe that's a personal <laughs> bias. Um, but we wanted something that was sort of a combination of, of, the short course of all short courses, probably the Himalayas at, at St. Andrews, the ladies putting club uh, with some of these, you know, we courses that we had seen. And so um, I originally talked to, to, uh, to, to George about it, got his thoughts. And once he liked that idea, I said, okay, well, that, that's good. And we went about finding somebody to, to kind of enact this, this love child between the Himalayas and a, you know, the North Barrick children's course. Um, we found Blake Conant who uh, is a, you know, he's been doing a lot of work on his own of recent, um, Obviously, a, a great pedigree is building old Barnwell now down in, uh, you know, gets in somewhere in the Carolinas. And uh, I basically said to him, hey, look, this is this is kind of what we're thinking. You know, I want this to be all short grass, sort of humpy, bumpy, almost like if you missed a really good, you know, link screen and left yourself with an interesting chip shot. Um, and I said, I don't really want to I'm not going to tell you how to do it. And so we came up with this this concept or Blake came up with kind of the uh, putting pen to paper to come up with the, the sort of routing for this. And the way it's going to work is that it's actually pretty interesting. Um, we, and I should back up a little, we call it the merry-go-round. That's the, the name for the short course. Um, and there's kind of an interesting story behind that in that when historically uh, Park Golf Club was the uh, rival to what was then Hillside Golf and Tennis, so, uh, you know, uh, which is now Plainfield. So Plainfield and, and Hydewood or Park Golf Club, they were, they were rivals and they had this interclub match and, you know, they actually in 1902, they had 2,000 people show up to the inner club. So really kind of an interesting, you know, heavy rivalry. Um, but the Plainfield folks didn't really think so much of the Park Golf Club nine-hole layout. And they used to derisively call it the merry-go-round because you had to go around twice. 
which we thought was, you know, <laughs> we thought that was pretty funny. Um, and so the way we were setting up this short course is basically we're going to have there are six greens, uh, one of which is a, a double green. Um, and we'll have three different routings that change every month. And so you basically like a merry-go-round, you go around a couple of times. Um, and the holes are vary in length from or the I guess the way we could set it up would be in, you know, holes that could be 50, 60 yards down to, you know, some of them might actually be putts. They might be a, a 15 or 20 yard putt. It's all short grass. You could, you could, you know, you could play it with a putter if you were really so inclined, but more likely it's kind of a seven and a, or a nine iron a putter. That's one thing that I think would definitely be fun to play just, just, just for anything. Well, and I think one of the things that struck me when you go to, when you go overseas and you look at some of these uh, courses, you, you see a, a, an incredible mix of people, right? You know, if you go out to the, you know, any of these short courses, whether it's Brunfield or North Berwick, you just see lots of, you see lots of, of little kids out there with their parents. You see lots of, you know, not so little kids out there by themselves. You see a bunch of guys who just came off the 18th green with, with beers in their hand. And you see, you know, you see people who are, you know, it's a grandmother and a grandson. It, it's a wonderful thing that appeals to basically the entire cross-section of golfers uh, in a way that just about nothing else in golf does. Dave, that sounds incredible. You know, I, I haven't been to, to watch Young, but the way you talk about it clearly is, is glowing. Mike has had nothing but good things to say. It, it really sounds like, a, like an incredible place. I kind of want to take a little left turn, though. Uh, I have a friend who loves Rock Spring, uh, another Seth Rayner course, and, and um, he, he loves it. And I tried getting up this summer um, and wasn't able to, uh, to make a tee time because it was busy, and that's great because it's – I believe it's recently public. And so I know you have some, some affiliation with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and a little bit about Rock Spring? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Rock Spring, obviously, uh, Seth Rainer golf course built in the 20s. Uh, it was a private club for, you know, going on 100 years. The membership uh, fell on hard times after the, the 2008 financial crisis, uh, ended up through a series of machinations, ended up merging with Montclair Golf Club, which is just, just down the street. So a, a 36-hole facility merged with Rock Spring, became a 45-hole facility. Um, they had, you know, they were merged for, I believe, five years with the term of the, the merger agreement. At the end of five years, uh, Montclair decided to, to put Rock Spring up for sale. They were, that was all they were contractually obligated to do was sort of maintain it and run it for five years. Um, I got involved because the township of West Orange uh, was, took a look at this and said, oh my goodness, here's 100 and, you know, 130 acres of undeveloped land in a, in a town that's basically entirely developed. Uh, if we were to buy this, we would be able to control our own destiny with respect to the property. And as you mentioned, that the the but from your difficulty of getting a tea time, it's been an absolute smash hit. Um, and I was hired by the township to be uh, their golf consultant. They they threw this together extremely quickly. Uh, they were looking to you know to to buy the property, but didn't know the first thing about golf. They didn't know what they were buying. Um, and needed somebody who had a background in golf to, to basically to be their consultant to tell them, you know, what questions they needed to ask. Um, I'm a commercial real estate lawyer by, by trade. That's kind of my, my day job. Um, and so I was able to uh, assist them with the contract process. And then I've been the uh, what they term the contract compliance officer ever since. So I was involved with uh, selecting the vendor to operate the course, which in this case was, was Kemper Sports, which has done a wonderful job for us. Chris Parker and his team absolutely fantastic um the, we took the golf course over 
uh, and I guess that was 20, 2019, spring of 2019. It was uh, in really rough shape. It hadn't been mown for quite a while. Uh, it was, you know, it was still a golf course, but it was, you know, a very shaggy looking golf course. Uh, we had some sort of antiquated equipment on site. It was, it was really a, a, a logistical challenge to bring it back. And if you if some of the people played it kind of in its early days or, you know, <laughs> may remember there was, you know, six inches worth of rough on the sides of, the, of some of the holes for a bit there. And, uh, but now Brandon and his team have gotten the, the superintendent, uh, have done a wonderful job bringing it back to, uh, to being a, you know, frankly in better shape than I think it was when it was, uh, when Montclair had it. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Rock Spring, St. Peter's University used to play that as a home course. Do you have any yeah. knowledge of that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I know there were, you know, there are obviously lots of, uh, yeah, so, uh, high schools in their Seton Hall prep, I believe used to play there, um. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question. So I and I and I'll tell you why. When I when I was in high school, I was fortunate to be a pretty good player back in the day. Um, and I went on an official visit to St. Peter's University to play golf, and mm. I was invited to go play a golf course. And the golf course was Rock Spring, and they, it was a private golf course. From what I remember, it was nice. I mean, gosh, this has to be two thousand two, two thousand one, two thousand two. But I mean, I, I kind of remember that place a little bit, and that was their home course. That's where they played. And oh man, I'm, I'm I vaguely, vaguely remember that. But um, yeah, from what I recall, it was, it was a nice little track there. Yeah, I mean, for those who haven't been there, I mean, it really is a, a, a sort of fantasy land setting for a golf course. You really have to come up with something. We have a really long way to go to find something better. I mean, it's a Rock Spring, the name of the club is derived from the fact that Cable Lake is kind of the prominent feature on the top of the hill there. It's a mountaintop spring. The rock is the spring, essentially, and that's where the name comes from. Uh, and that, before it was a golf course even, that was actually a tremendously popular uh, destination for people in the oranges to come up. There was a, It's called Cable Lake because there was actually a cable car that came up uh, what's now Northfield Avenue. Uh, and that was, you know, you would kind of come up there, have your, your summer picnic and uh, you know, go up the f sort of 400 vertical feet from the valley. And actually, believe it or not, that I, I believe it was the day it opened, but they had a, a terrible cable car accident right when it, it opened. So it didn't get off to an auspicious start. Um, and I don't think that the, the cable car really ever, you know, was there for a couple of decades, but then, you know, became a golf course in the 20s. Uh, Rainer came in and what a view from, I mean, the, the view from the golf course in the clubhouse of the Manhattan skyline in Newark in the foreground is just, you know, must have looked like you were watching them build Oz in the distance. I, I think I, I I vaguely remember that, but that that course and that reason I just for whatever reason just sticks out to me. Um, it's a wonderful we have, layout. We have a thing on on this podcast where Mike refuses to play a golf course a second time uh, until he's <laughs> played every golf course in New Jersey. So Mike, you're, you're on air admitting that you played Rock Springs, so we can check that one off for you. So I'm going up there by myself. Is that what you mean? No, I'll, I'll go with you again because it's been such a long time. But well, uh, that was my excuse for the other ones. <laughs> so, so Dave, one of the things that Ryan and, have, and I have have <laughs> gone back and forth on is one of our long term goals. Now we understand it's not happening anytime in the future, but we would like to travel the state, play golf, talk about golf, and just explore golf in the Garden State. And, and one of the things that I've always said is, let's see how long whatever it takes to go play everywhere. We we don't count private courses because if we don't know somebody or don't have access to it, we can't get on there, understandably. But one of the things that him and I have branched off about is, well, I, I don't want to play the course a second time if I've already played it. But 
there are exceptions to rules, aren't there? I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. You are, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we make a living on exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that, right. I'm going to, I'm going to invoke the exception to the rule on, on something like that. Okay. All right. Good. But, well, I mean, I think that's a good point because I mean, New Jersey has got such geographic diversity and it's something that I've been fortunate by sitting on the board of the New Jersey State Golf Association to see, you know, so many of the wonderful golf courses in the state. And you think about, you know, all the way down to places like Atlantic City Country Club has hosted five USGA championships all the way up to, you know, Crystal Springs and, and the, you know, up in Vernon at the northern part of the state. There's just a tremendous amount of good golf. And um, if you're willing to kind of travel a little bit, you'll have a great time seeing it. Yeah, that's obviously something that Ryan and I have talked about is like just within our state alone, you can play and see so many different types of topography all over the place. You go want to go play the mountains, you can go up north. You want to see something on the water, find something on the east coast. Like there's so many different areas in just this state alone that you can really see so much. And I think when Ryan pitched me the idea and we, we brainstormed on it, it was like, man, that, that really could be a home run. And so far, you know, it, it truly has been. Well, yeah, and if, if you'll forgive me for a, a slight plug for our New Jersey State Golf Association uh, Communications Committee, but Lexi Guzzi and, and, and Rebecca Gana do a wonderful job with us. And they came up with the idea of, of a for the hashtag State of Golf. And if you follow the NGSGA, you follow, you know, read our magazine. Uh, that's one of the things we really lean into is going all over the state of New Jersey and, and having trying to experience and, and share some of those experiences with people uh, last year we did a, a like a logo bracket contest which got a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, fun clicks and whatnot but we really engaged with that concept of you know golf and all of you know from from border to border from north to south and east to west because new jersey has just got so much good golf so hashtag state of golf <laughs> love it uh actually i i found that when uh, Chris, Chris Goderup is, is from our area. And when he was getting recruited by Rutgers, I started, you know, following the, the Rutgers golf team and they were always tagging state of golf. And then I started seeing it more and more. And, and, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a hashtag that I'd say is really taken off. You guys have done a, a great job with that one. Yeah. Thank you. And ironically enough, the Rutgers men's golf team at watching Valley today, thanks to, to Jimmy Arvis, another great Rutgers golf team alum. Who's uh, our current Jimmy's club champion. Yeah. Too. Jimmy's a great golfer too. Fantastic golfer, yeah. Yeah. So, and and I think like l going into the the NJSGA too. Let, let let's talk a little bit about that because I know that I I think with so many different things, you know, they they do an amazing job. But you know, the guys over there, you know, Brad Barden, um, God, I could just keep going on names. Yeah, Kevin Purcell, obviously our executive director, Purcell, wonderful yeah, guy. Yeah, unbelievable job. Um, Fiera, I think, is one of the guys' last names too. Um, the, the Joe, Joe Fierro, the, the, they all do a great job there in terms of not only communicating, but the stuff and the content they put out. And I think that hashtag is state of golf is kind of what, you know, made us start thinking about our own other hashtag that can kind of piggyback that one. And, and golfing in the garden state is, is kind of like a little catchy slogan as well that I guess some of the things that, you know, I would, I would love to maybe pick someone like your your brain because obviously you're well connected and, and you're within you know, on the executive committee. Like we would love for different things to collaborate with or to work alongside. And I think, you know, I think the media side of things is always a very hard thing because what we're learning is we're really just a two man operation here as it is. And just constantly finding ways to put out content, to put out podcasts, to put out media, to get interviews all lined up. It's a lot of work. 
um, and not having it be your full-time job is, is even harder. But there's no doubt that I know Ryan and I are open to anything um, with them and with you guys that we could collaborate to, to, to get the word out even more. Because I think at the end of the day, the idea with everything, especially golf related, is to find ways to grow the game. And I don't, it doesn't matter to me if it's, you're talking old, young, middle-aged, young, you know, females, males, whatever the case ends up being like finding ways just to grow the game and having more ways for people to listen, to talk about it, to read about it. I would love to pick your brain to see if there's anything that on their end that we could assist with or, or vice versa. Um, I, I know, and I can kind of, without giving names out, I know we have a lot of great guests lined up in the next two or three weeks that are, are big names um, in, in the state of New Jersey golf. And, I, and I'm hopeful that like once the interviews come out and the names are, are released that, and I get it, it's young and it's new and people may not take it as serious as something that's, you know, well-versed and, and kind of under, you know, taken care of in a sense already, but I would love to see what we could do to, to work together in, in some ways or some some fashion. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think golf in New Jersey has never been in a better spot if you if you listen to the, the sort of numbers. Um, and, you know, some of the things that we do at the NGSGA level, you know, sort of lend themselves to that, right? I think, you know, for example, a lot of people associate the NJSGA with with our championships, right? With the New Jersey Open, the Jersey Amateur, the the Mid Amateur, the Four Ball, the Women's Open. We're actually starting a Women's Open next year for the first time, which is really exciting. Oh wow! Um, but you know, we also have uh, you know member golf days. So if you're a member of an NJSGA club or a member of our E Club, uh, you'll have access to you know a, a, basically a, a net tournament schedule throughout the summer. And those are things that absolutely um, you know something like that would lend itself very nicely to collaboration. Um, the, you know, one of the things actually we're really excited about is we've had women's, uh, member golf days. The turnout for that has been fantastic. Um, and it's just, it's, it's wonderful to see, I think the, uh, you know, just to get people out to see some, you know, different courses within the garden state. A lot of them are, they're, the calendar is mainly private clubs. So it's a nice opportunity for someone who's a, either an e-club member or a member of another club to, uh, you know, get to play somewhere they might not otherwise get a chance to play. Yeah. There's no, I think that e-club idea has been unbelievable. I, I truly do. I think that someone can sign up just right there on the website is is innovative. I think it's creative, and it, and I think it helps just the average person who can't get to a golf course or really doesn't know how to start. Um, you know, just the basic links on their website is is phenomenal. Yeah, and if you don't have a handicap or you want to become a member of the NDSJ, you go to the USGA has a site. You can just you know plug right into that and. They'll help you get a handicap, uh, and, and it will become if you get a handicap through the USGA, become a member of the the NGSGA. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's great. One of my favorite courses I've ever played is um, the Ridge at Backbrook, and I played it through the member golf days, uh, mm -hmm. summer of nineteen, right before COVID. It was yeah, uh, it was incredible. That's such a great thing because, like you said, they're they're it gives uh, you know a lot of people that are that are out there grinding on public courses an opportunity to kind of see. Uh, you know, lack of a better term, like how the other side is playing and, and a club like uh, like the Ridge. And I know Hollywood's been on there and, and that sort of like those courses are are amazing. We have some some tremendous public uh, private courses in New Jersey and getting, quote unquote, regular people out onto them is is amazing. And that's such a great initiative that you guys have started. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, for the Ridge, for example, hosted our state open this year. So, uh, you know, the fact that NJSJ members got a chance to play that really, you know, really fun, really impactful. 
Mike has a great story from his round at the Ridge in that uh, in that Open this year that he qualified for. So I, I actually qualified for the State Open this year, Dave, at the Ridge. I qualified. Nicely done. Yeah, I qualified at Knob Hill, but I played a practice round before the tournament, maybe like two weeks before, and I actually made a hole in one on the eighth hole. <laughs> Got to save that for the event, but it's just yeah, too so early. All, that's all my. That's exactly what my buddies had said when we, you know, after I did it, like, dude, you're you're two weeks too early. Um, but I mean <laughs> that, awesome. that that course I, that was the first time I've ever been there, and, and to Ryan's point, like that that place was a phenomenal. I I, I got to meet the owner. Uh, Mr. Moore, he did. He does a phenomenal job there with that place. And that eighth hole alone, you know, I get up to the fir- I get up to the tee box, and all I can do is take pictures before I even tee off. So I'm taking pictures before I even hit the shot, and lo and behold, like one hop, get lucky, the ball goes in the hole. So it, it was a, it was a fun day. Too bad. Good, like, good memory there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's what a lot of people said too, because going into it, they're like, oh, you're gonna love the eighth hole, you're gonna love the eighth hole, but you know. I ended up liking the Eagles, so. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> it's tough not to like. Yes. Great architecture, guess... right? Exactly. If the ball goes in, if it, if it goes to an inch, it's only okay architecture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I guess our, one of the questions that we just like to kind of pick people's brains are at um, is like, obviously, you're you're an avid golfer. You know, I took a peek at your index, and you're, you're a solid 4.3. Um, so you, you get it around, and, and – very well yeah my index is that's that's what having two kids will do i'm I'm like wow okay i used to be a two but you know i guess each kid adds at least a shot to the index (laughs) (laughs) Uh, listen i I know that all too well mine mine was sky high and then i got two girls that are 10 and 7 so i've been able to play a lot more so it's kind of gone down a little bit but um obviously being an avid golfer like yourself and, and and being able to travel the state like are there certain maybe a a public course a semi private course along with a private course outside of like things that you oversee that are, you know, must hits or favorite spots that, that you would maybe recommend to any of the listeners out there listening. Yeah, of course. I got happy to throw a few out there. I mean, obviously I'm going to be biased and say rock Springs. I, I truly, and I am not just saying this because I've been involved with the project. I mean, I, I think the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, rock spring is, you know, to, the ability to play a Seth Rayner public golf course, can, you know, you really can't overstate how, uh, how amazing that is. And, and, you know, I get the, uh, the reports on the back end of every week, the, the sort of, uh, you know, surveys that people take and the, and the, you know, what people say about the golf course is really, uh, you know, it's, it's heartfelt. I mean, it's something that, you know, people really appreciate. They come from a tremendous distance to, to play there. So I, I gotta, gotta say rock spring. Cause I think that's just, I think that's true. Um, you know, down in, sort of in the semi private category, I'd probably put Atlantic city country club in that category. I'm not sure if they're, they're talking about maybe going back to, to fully private, but, um, that's a tremendous, tremendous golf course. Um, Willie park, uh, designed it, same as designers, Maidstone, Tom Doak did a tremendous, um, sort of restoration renovation, you know, kind of early in his career there, um, sits right on the bay and, uh, just across from Atlantic city. Um, it's actually the place where the term birdie was coined. So that was, I think that was, think that's kind of an interesting little, little story. Um, you know, beautiful golf course plays extremely linksy. I think that's something that it, it really is truly one of the few golf courses in New Jersey that you could describe as being a links. It sits on, you know, it sits on ground that has been covered with water and is sort of adjacent sandy soil. So a really fun golf course and a good example of, of course, I, you know, I, I, Last time I played there, it's, it's been a little while, but I think it's, it's par 70, sort of 6,600 yards. 
and it ate my lunch. And it's, you know, you're like, how the heck can this golf course be that hard at that yardage? Um, but the wind gets up, it's right on the water. Uh, really just a, if you like golden age architecture, as I said, I think it's hosted five USGA championships. So huge Atlantic city country club fan. Um, you know, if you want to go someplace, that's truly, you know, truly a public golf course, uh, big fan of twisted dune. I think that's sort of a, you know, uh, that's sort of down, uh, you know, down the parkway a bit, uh, egg Harbor township, S- beautiful Sandy site. Uh, you know, I love, you know, love Sandy sites. Uh, you know, get a, my, my buddy, George waters, you know, his book sand and golf lays out kind of why, uh, Sandy sites are so, so great for golf. The drainage is obviously tremendous. You can get them fast and firm. Uh, twisted dune is just a really cool, rugged, uh, golf course and so if you're down in that area that that's probably my favorite you know truly public golf course is there uh so so you got those couple is there any like um like up in in kind of the northwest or, or west side of the state because we got like atlantic city twisted dunes rock springs kind of eastern side of the state anything like like northwest or or just flat west yeah i mean her and glenn certainly the hunter county golf course is a you know a really nice public facility um, I, I would say if you go out, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly Harker's Hollow's model is at the moment there, you know, kind of out 78 by, by Phillipsburg. Um, if you're looking for kind of quirky side hill, uh, fun golden age golf, I, I, that's definitely a, a really fun spot to check out. And, uh, and that would kind of be my, my wild card in the West there. Okay. Um, so what the course that we were mentioning before I played architects, uh, maybe about 10 years ago. And, and Mike refused to go play with me there because, uh, again, because I've played there. So he's like, nope, we're not playing there. We're going somewhere else. So that's another one, I think, in the West that's, like, kind of quirky. It, it's it's always kept nice, but, you know, kind of all those different, you know, designs that they're throwing out is, is always pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's sort of a fun concept, right, a different hole from different architects. You know, and those sort of tribute courses can really fall flat on their face and not have a lot of continuity. But I actually think architects, you know, hangs together pretty decently. Yeah, I, well, that's that's really well put. That's exactly what it is. Like, there's a couple that there's one down in Myrtle Beach that I've played that it's very, it is very like uh, glitchy is not the right word, but like it's it's very it's it's trying to keep it um, authentic to its own. Each hole is individual, but you're right that Architects flows nicely into like each hole one to the other. Totally. So you know, we kind of end this with like, is there anything that like, you know, all golfers, um, you know, we, we always golfers tend to be superstitious kind of people. So is there anything that um, that you're superstitious about on the course, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, having a certain amount of tees in your pocket or anything like that? Like, what's your what's your like little quirk that like, you know, you're, you're not uh not necessarily bragging about because you're like, this is weird, but I'm still going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you start asking that question, it's like, man, do I really have a superstition? It's like, of course I do, because I have, I absolutely have a weird superstition like every other golfer. I don't like using a new ball off the first tee. Wow. Okay. I, uh, yeah, so I grew up, I grew up playing a, uh, my golf uh, in the summers down at Deal. And if you've ever played Deal, there, the, there's out of bounds down the right side of like the first or, you know, or, or hazard. Basically, the first seven holes. It's like the driveway, right? Right. You're yeah, the driveway is right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And so I would get into my head sometimes that if I had a new ball on the first <laughs> tee, that I was going to lose it at some point, if, if not on the first hole, you know, somewhere in that first seven holes. So I've actually got to the point where if I didn't have a, a, a uh, an old golf ball, I would like go on the putting green, like scuff one up a little with a little grass on it just to make myself feel better. 
<laughs> that's a that's good a, one. That really is. But listen, I, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time because like Ryan and I, we probably could sit here and talk, you know, shop forever. But I, I appreciate you coming on. And, and I know, you know, especially early on, getting people to, to be open and willing to, to join our podcast may be a little difficult at times, but, you know, you were easily accessible um, your communication was unbelievable, and I, and I just want to make sure I, I thank you for, you know, coming on here. So I, I just want to make sure that you understand that I, I truly do appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, you know, I love golf in New Jersey. It's it's something obviously I'm very passionate about, as, as you probably guess from sitting on the the board. And um, you know, it, New Jersey is a wonderful state. It's got wonderful golf, and it's got wonderful golf tradition. And I'm very proud of that, and and just happy to be to be part of a podcast that's going to help share some of those stories. Hopefully we're gonna we're gonna do our best there. Good stuff. Again, pleasure meeting you, and, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Likewise, Dave. guys. Talk to you later. Take care.